Well, hey, what's going on? Well, family, I hope you are doing well. Uh, we are on week 16 of Guided Gatherings. So you've made it through a whole semester of Guided Gatherings, all right? <laughs> Some of you have graduated to the next stage of Guided Gatherings. You went from a sophomore to a junior, all right? And so some of y'all dropped out of school, though. <laughs> all right? But you can pick it back up this semester. Don't worry, okay? Uh, 16 weeks. Man, I ought to smack Satan in the face, dog. Come on, man. <laughs> like... Uh, so angry. That's right. God is doing work. Amen. Amen. Uh, hey, our sovereign God is moving. We are not without hope. All right. Uh, he is bringing people to himself. We are seeing multiplication like we just said. People are being taken care of even. Even where COVID has kind of crippled people either in like depression or a loss of job or the church is stepping up. God always moves in chaos as Adam was saying earlier. And so praise God. Um, We are in the second to last week of Philippians, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, We'll be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Uh, We're going to camp out there, no other scriptures, just there, so feel free to turn out and camp there. Uh, If you want to pause and go grab a Bible, please do that. We want your eyes on the Word, okay? And so as you're turning there, so far in this letter, Paul has given us a ton of theology, how we should be thinking about God and this world and his word. And we've talked about theology, but now Paul kind of shifts us to get really, really practical. And listen, church family, if your theology does not lead to functional, applicable change, then you may be studying theology, but you're probably not engaging with God in the process. You see, uh, true theology doesn't just study about God, it actually studies God himself. And when you study God, you begin to change and you begin to change the world around you. And so theology should lead to a change. And so Paul is telling the church to put into practice the things that they have been theologically discussing. And so Paul, what he does here is he moves into a bunch of commandments and imperatives. Really, what should we be doing as the people of God? What does the church look like as we put this theology into the practice. And very, very important here, okay? I want to give this to you up front. We're going to walk through seven commands of Paul today. Now, we could actually dive into the text a little bit more, but we're going to focus on seven of them. And if you're anything like me, you go, man, how do I get an A on all seven of these, right? That's actually not what I sound like at all. I'd be like, man, I'm going to kill this mug. I'm going to be just like Jesus at the end of this, all right? Uh, But here's my encouragement, though, okay? Uh, I want you to just focus on one, just one this week. And in fact, maybe even right now, I would encourage you to say a silent prayer in your heart and ask the Holy Spirit, which of these do you want me to focus on so that I might look more like Jesus Christ? And so pray that even right now that one of them would almost illuminate. It would be like Braille coming up off the page where he says, this is what I want you to do. Because here's the reality. We can likely grow in each of these things, but ask him to convict you to uh, begin to move by the power of of God, which we'll talk about in a second, to change you into Christ that much more. Let him speak into your heart. And then I think as you begin to apply any one of these, he will also begin to bring these other ones out and continue to transform you into Christ. So let's focus on one today, bet? Yeah. Cool. Okay. I'm going to have my good friend, uh, Rob, go ahead and read the section we'll be covering today, and then we'll chop it up some. So Rob, take it away. Hey, well, family, my name is Rob Bergman. I'm one of the CG shepherds in the Mueller neighborhood, and uh, I'm going to be reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard from me, in me practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Now, before we get into how we look like and walk more like Christ, notice where the power to do this actually comes from. You see, in almost every one of the commands, Paul uses the phrase, in the Lord, or in Christ, or with God. So it's the Lord who gives us grace and power to actually look like the Lord, to begin to imitate Him. And oftentimes, we don't find victory in these areas because we're walking in our own strength, and we're walking in our own power. We uh, are not not walking in the victory that has been afforded to us by the blood of Jesus. And so we try to carry this weight by ourselves and we try to walk in this and and then we end up growing weary or we end up overcoming it a little bit, but then we grow arrogant because we think that we're the ones that have done something. But if we realize that our strength comes from in the Lord, then we will not grow weary or faint hearted nor be arrogant, but humble as we overcome sin that captivates us in our life because we know where and who this strength comes from. All of the power that you have to overcome your shortcomings comes from the overcomer himself, Jesus. He's the one that gives us strength. And as he has poured out his blood onto your lives, we need to realize that we are blood-bought sons and daughters of God, and we have power, therefore, to overcome sin. You have power in God. Well, family, listen, you are not weak. Sin is not your master anymore. You have submitted yourself to a different rule and he is good and he has good for you and you have power to overcome this. And so you are a freed son and daughter of God. Let's live like it. Let's begin to walk in our freedom. Your ability to overcome any sin has already been afforded to you by the supremacy and sufficiency of our King Jesus. You can overcome this. It is all because of Jesus. Amen? And so let us walk in that. I hope you never get tired of hearing the name of Jesus. I told you all a couple of weeks ago, right? Something about that name, Jesus. Well, all right? So let's keep walking in that, okay? Um, Before diving in, listen, family. Paul is not telling you to try harder. That's not what he's doing. Now, all these commands, they actually do take effort. We are not lazy as the people of God. Christians work, all right? But ultimately, the power to overcome this comes from Jesus. We are able to overcome because of our relationship with God. And as we fix our eyes on God and fall in love with Christ, we actually walk in this. And so what are we called to here? Well, I'm going to call each of these commands labors of love because it takes work. There's a 
a labor, but it's because of the love of Jesus that we're able to overcome this in the way that then we should love each other and walk out in that. So the first labor of love is that of discipleship and love, okay? If you look there in verse one, uh, I'll be fair, the imperative or the command is actually to stand firm. And so endurance is the command. However, I want you to look at Paul's words there. He says, uh, Paul loves them. He calls them brothers and sisters. That, that, that word brother is just a plural word. It's a brother and sister. He calls them beloved. He says that he loves them. He longs for them. They are his joy in his crown. Do you see anyone like this? with this much affection and love in your heart? Do you disciple people and do you pour into them enough where you begin to feel like this about them? You see, so often we do not give our hearts to other Christians like this and therefore we actually miss some of the affections and the feelings of God himself. And we miss being poured into by God to then love like this. God feels this way towards you. This is how he longs for you. He loves you. You are his joy, the joy set before him. That is you, family. And now he wants us to imitate that and love others like that as well. You see, we're so quick to become discouraged or disenfranchised with people that we give up on them. And then we do not love them the way that God calls us to. Or we're so quick to build the organization of the church. We're so quick to to do ministry that we miss the very people that Jesus died for. Listen, Jesus did not bleed for a building. He bled for his bride. And so we need to love his bride, to pour our lives out. Jesus sees us. Paul sees the church. And so we should see people, even if it's on uh, crappy platforms like Zoom right now, right? Look, that's better than nothing, y'all. Can we see each other in the midst of this? Do you care for the people that you are discipling enough to have this much affection for them? Listen, if not, you're missing a part of the beauty of being a Christian, which is having your heart inflamed for the people of God. You're missing a piece of God's love himself. And so literally you will start to feel what God feels and those feelings are real. Too much kids, too much, too much frozen, man. <laughs> I heard the harmony there, right? If you don't got kids, don't worry, you'll catch you later, okay? Uh, I mean, what if we love people like this family of God, all right? So maybe that's what you need to think about this week. Maybe that's the one you need to work on. The second labor of love, though, is that of unity. You go down to verse 2 and 3, and notice Paul's plea here for these sisters. That word entreat, it means to urge or to almost plead with them. Notice, he actually says it before each of their names. So he's not picking sides here. He's not uh, trying to highlight one over the other. He's pleading with both of them to be unified. In fact, the Greek word there uh, to entreat is actually the word parakaleo. Para means with, and kaleo means to call. And so it's to call alongside with someone. In fact, it's the same root word for the Holy Spirit, our paraclete. The one who comes alongside with us, walks with us, literally becomes one as he dwells inside of us that we might walk together with him towards Christ. He's saying to do the same thing. He's literally saying, listen, I'm begging you to be unified. This is a strong word. It doesn't come across strong enough in English. He says, I'm begging you, sisters, be unified. Now, look, this is sort of awkward, y'all, right? Like, imagine me just like calling somebody out right now in the middle of the sermon, okay? (laughs) Remember, this was read allowed to the church, right? And so you got to imagine they're sitting there looking at each other throughout the sermon, angry over God knows what, right? But Paul's going in Philippians 2, and he's like, look, I want you to lay down your life for the sake of others. And you know they looked at each other like, "Mm, 
right? You, amen, pastor, preach it, all right? Okay, and then all of a sudden, Paul just says their name, right? It'd be like me being like, Renee, Sharon, stop, y'all. Like, get along in the Lord, okay? Y'all are tripping, all right? That'd be weird, which I know there's people named Renee and Sharon. I ain't talking to y'all, all right? Unless, unless the Lord is convicting you, then that, that's the Holy Spirit. That ain't on me, all right? I don't know about it, okay? Uh, but Paul isn't doing this to be mean, though, y'all. That's not his motivation here. They're likely actually very public figures in the church, and that's why he's doing this. They're well-known, which makes their disunity that much more dangerous because they have a greater influence to divide because of their popularity. And so he wants to make sure that there's unity in the church. Now, real quick side note, because this is important, but notice that women had a prominent role even there in the early church. Women, though looked down upon from the society at large, they were finding safety and beauty and freedom in the church family. It was happening then, and it should be happening now. I better get at least three or four witnesses in this mug, all right? So, all right, but look, they're laboring side by side with Paul. That's how we know they had influence. Paul's this great apostle. They're here with him, laboring with him. In fact, their names are in the book of life, which is why they should be unified in the first place, because they are both bought by the same blood of Jesus. They're sisters. Now, this is really important, okay? Not everyone who disagrees with you is an enemy of the cross, like Adam talked about last week. That's not what's happening here. There's a major difference between enemies of the faith and disagreements in the faith. There's a difference between those two things. There's also a major difference between disagreeing and being disunified. And too often in our arrogance, we would rather be right than be unified, y'all. And I see that all the time. This is literally happening even right now in our society. Satan always uses disunity to halt the mission of God and to cause the love of God to grow cold in the church. Why do you think he attacks it so often, y'all? Disunity is a disruptor in the mission and in the beauty of God. So y'all, the well, be unified. Stick together in this. Seek unity, not rightness, okay? Like, like there may be right and wrong answers. Don't get it twisted. But is it worth losing your brother or sister to win an argument? Like, like literally Christ's blood, which purchased that sister is worth more than your need to be right. Family kill the arrogance and seek unity. Y'all this is what Paul is saying here. I mean, look to Jesus as our example. He was right. 100% of the time he was never wrong. And yet he gave up his right for the sake of others. Literally Jesus was right, but became wrong that you might become right with God. Can't you afford to do the same thing for your brother and sister who, even though there may be a disagreement in how you see something, you're laying your life down that unity might come. Let us strive for unity, family. If not, I might start calling you all out like Paul did. Shoot. Right? Hey, the third, do it. All right, don't get it. Don't, don't test. Uh, hey, the third labor of love is that of joy, okay? Maybe you need to focus on unity, maybe discipleship. The third one here is joy. We talked about this a lot in previous sermons, so I won't belabor this, but Paul says, rejoice. Oh, what, you ain't hear me? Again, I say, rejoice, right? He repeats so nice, he had to say it twice, all right? Uh, rejoice, remember, in the Lord, though, we're not finding some false, awkward joy that we're trying to muster up some happiness based on a circumstance or situation. Our joy is not based on circumstances, but based by the blood of Jesus, family. He purchased this. Joy comes from our relationship with Jesus, not how well things are going in your life. 
You tracking with that? We gotta find this. Look, no cap, this week I was bitter, y'all. Like I was really, really angry. When Austin started spiking again, I was saying some unchristian things to a virus that could not hear me, all right? (laughs) But I was like angry. And I was talking with my wife at one point and I was like, she said something like, oh, well, you know, I was like, miss, skip COVID, (laughs) right? She's like, well, you know, miss, skip them too. Miss, skip him too. I just started skipping it. I was ready to scrap y'all, all all right? Uh, And literally I was walking down the street kind of hoping that somebody who passed me would be like, hey, your black life don't matter, just so I can find a reason to fight. (laughs) Like, I was just angry, all right? I was literally, what am I doing? I'm allowing my circumstances to dictate my attitude. I'm angry at the situation, and now all of a sudden it's affecting my joy because I'm forgetting that I was purchased and that COVID or race relations or nothing else can strip away my joy that is in heaven enthroned, unable to be moved off the throne, Jesus. He is my joy. We need to rejoy ourselves in Christ over and over and over again, family. Francis Chan, who he's a pastor and an author in California, and he says this, He says, most people think that you get joy when you get what you desire, but real joy comes when you realize what you have. And I would personally actually stretch that quote a little bit. I would add to it, when you realize what you have and you are thankful for what you have received. Here's the trick, y'all. In the Lord, if you are in Christ, you have everything. You have eternity already. There is nothing that you lack. And even your suffering right now is nothing more than deposits that will be turned towards your good a hundredfold in the kingdom. And so even our suffering, we can rejoice in knowing that God is for us, that all things will work together, that we will be with him one day. We need to find our joy in Christ. Are you allowing this season to rob from you what Christ already paid for? Don't do it. Fight for your joy. Rejoice in the Lord, family. The fourth labor of love is that of graciousness there uh, in verse 5. Paul says, let your reasonableness be known, okay? That word is actually, it's impossible to translate. In the CSB, it's graciousness. In the ESV, it's reasonableness. The NLT is considerate. The NASB is gentle spirit. The NIV is gentleness. The King James is moderation. On and on and on, okay? Gordon Fee, who's actually a biblical scholar, he said that this word here means to have a gentle forbearance with others. It's the opposite of being contentious and self-seeking. It's also translated in other passages as being patient or gentle. So simply put, extend grace towards others. Literally give them what they may not deserve. Do you, are you known as a person that is gentle, that is kind, that is patient, that is gracious, that's considerate, that's slow to anger, that is peaceable? Do you even want these qualities that I just named? Or do you fantasize about position and power and glory? It's a big difference here. Jesus was humble, and he literally was the only one worthy of exaltation, and yet he humbled himself and was gracious toward us. Why does your heart keep seeking its own power? If the king himself gave it up, why aren't we willing to be gracious and to give to others what they do not deserve? Let us be a gracious people, and maybe you need to work on that this week. The fifth labor of love is trust through prayer, okay? With everything going on in society right now, it's easy to be anxious, almost understandable to be anxious, but it's not okay. 
Anxiety is a sin, family of God. It is saying, I do not trust the God that is over all things. Now remember, Paul is writing this from jail with his life on the line. If he's commanding us in this, we can follow it, okay? Most of the time, though, what happens is we try to create peace by ourselves. And so we feel anxious and worried, and we try to self-preach to ourselves that we shouldn't feel this way. Even the most gifted preacher publicly is probably a below average preacher to his own heart. Literally, we need something higher than us. You do not have to carry whatever burden you are carrying. You can give that up to King Jesus. Literally, peace is God's to give because he is the prince of peace himself. And we gain it when we come to him in prayer. He removes that anxiety. Now listen, I know there are clear medical and and psychological reasons that some of us wrestle with this, and so by no means am I wanting to diminish this. However, most of the lies and the concerns and the anxiety and the fears are because we are lying to ourselves in our own head, and we're refusing to take that to God. We're trying to carry this burden that's too heavy for us, y'all, but nothing's too heavy for Jesus. He could take all of our burdens, and it wouldn't even, um, you know, start sweating at all. Right. Like he can handle this. Think about uh, what's going on in your head as like really bad sermons. Okay, like inside of your head is a really bad theological church. Okay, Uh, a lot of your thoughts, they're like uh, false prophets. You need to listen to another and a better preacher. And that is the spirit of God and the word of God. And you find that when you come to God in prayer. Listen, I actually love these verses. It actually is part of the reason why I trust and believe in the Bible so much. Because literally, every time I am anxious, when I do what this is, the peace of God guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, my thinking and my emotions. I feel the peace of God. Now, I'm not going to lie. Half the time, I try to wrestle with my own anxiety. It takes me like weeks to realize, like, oh, that's right. I just got to pray, right? But every time I do what it says, now, you got to be a Christian, It's the person that's in Christ that gets this promise, okay? But literally, you also got to follow the the plan. It's when you come to God with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So when you're like, yo, God, why are we still in this, right? Like, I mean, it's okay to be honest before God, but that might not be thanksgiving. You might not feel the peace of God. But literally, when you follow this, God always comes through on his promise. I trust scripture so much because this has always proven to be true. God's word never fails. When we submit to it, we get life. And God wants to give you peace, which is yours through Jesus. Seek it, family of God. Stop trying to carry this burden alone. Maybe you need to pray more. And that's your labor of love this week. The sixth labor of love is that of godly thinking. You know, a lot of our thoughts' lives, they're, they're miserable, and so we frequently dwell on wickedness and doubt and hostility or racism and, and bitterness and hatred, and all of this, it normally starts in the mind, but then it begins to bleed out through our mouths and through our actions, and so this is why theology is so important, actually. We should sanctify, literally take every thought captive and surrender it to Christ, and so do not allow sinful thinking, like disunity or false aggression or lust to put up a tent in your head because before you know it, that tent will turn into a mansion and it will ruin your life. They will dwell there forever. No, surrender those thoughts to God. Very simply, you can ask yourself these questions about whatever you're thinking, like to see if you're fighting for unity or for peace or for justice or for godliness. Like, is what I'm thinking true? Is it pure? 
Is it worthy of praise? Is it honorable? Like, just ask that about your thoughts. Like, I told y'all already this week, I was super frustrated, and I was walking down the street just wanting to fight somebody, you know? And so all of a sudden, this guy started coming toward me, and I literally thought, y'all hope he, like, spits on me or something so I can, like, punch him, all right? And y'all are like, dang, bro, you messed up. I know I need Jesus. That's what I be telling y'all each week, all right? I need Jesus. But look, this wasn't commendable, right? Like, none of y'all that heard that was like, golly, Tori's such a godly pastor. That's not the thought that you had. Right? You're like, oh, this dude needs Jesus and, and to take a nap, all right? Uh, so literally, I, I need to take those thoughts. I need to surrender them to Christ. I need to not allow them to tent and into mansion in my head. And so what I did, literally, because I knew I was preaching on this and I didn't want to be all convicted. So I was like, I'm going to take this thought captive, surrender it to Christ, okay? So as we passed each other, I was like, hey, brother, how you doing? And he looked at me like I had like a dragon coming out of my mouth, okay? And then I realized I had no mask on. We're like in the middle of COVID. And I was like, that wasn't the best response either. Okay. I did feel better though. All right. Uh, And so listen, don't allow Satan or your flesh to make a bed in your head and don't begin to then feed it while it's in bed by continuing in those thoughts, surrender them to Christ, starve your flesh, family of God. Think about godly things. Maybe this is the labor of love that you need to focus on this week. And finally, the the last labor of love is that of discipleship and imitation. Let me paint a picture for you of what Paul just painted here for us. How do you love an anxious, disunified, bickering, sorrowful, thinking about ungodly things church? Like, this is what the Philippians were. Like, they were an awesome church. They had a lot they had to work on, though. Paul doesn't just love them because they're easy. He loves them because Christ loves them. And so, literally, they are Christ's beloved. They're brothers and sisters. They are God's people. In fact, when you love people that are hard to love, that's actually probably the greatest form of love. And so Paul is imitating Christ in this because we are hard to love and yet Christ loves us even while we were enemies, the scripture says. And now Paul is imitating this for us as he's walking in godliness and then says that we should do the same as well. And so Paul is our discipler, our imitator, the one that we are looking to as he is looking to Jesus. And listen, maybe you don't have someone to look up to. I would encourage you to find somebody because they may not be Jesus, but they may be the very presence of Jesus for you on earth. They may be the one that can model him for you and help you walk in the goodness of Christ. Also, we should have lives that are worth living so that others can imitate us as well. In fact, are you living your life in a public enough space where people are able to see you and imitate you? Are you able to disciple others? Look at what Paul says, which you have heard and seen and received and learned. Paul is very public before them. And so as people then begin to model you, will they begin to build Christ's kingdom or your little self-made kingdom that will crumble when he returns? If we are reflecting Jesus and have a life that is on public and worthy of imitating, that is discipleship. And people will follow that and therefore be moved into the goodness of Christ, just as you should be imitating others. And as we mentioned throughout all of this, all of this comes through our Savior, Jesus. You see, he is our example and the power for us to walk in these things. I mean, think about each of these commands. Jesus is the prayerful one who trusts the Father, even though the situation in front of him looks so bleak. He's the one whose thinking is always pure. He's always gracious and reasonable. He is always joy-filled. He walked in unity. He loved deeply. He discipled fully. He did each of these 
these things to perfection, family of God, and yet he died like he was a wicked man. He died like he did none of these things to perfection. Like, like think about just one of them. Let's take the trust through prayer one. Jesus is in the garden sweating blood as he is praying to the Father, literally beginning to become anxiety for us. He is becoming sin on our behalf. You know, Jesus died without knowing the peace of God that transcends understanding. Why? So that you may have it forever, family of God. You see, as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he dies and doesn't feel the answer. Why? That's because now when you cry out, my God, my God, he will not forsake you. Literally, you get what was deserved to Jesus and he takes on what you deserve. Jesus is the one that satisfies this for us. And we can do that same example with each of these commands. Jesus gives us the example to follow. He then pays for and forgives us when we fail in that example. And then because of his resurrection and the Holy Spirit upon us, he gives us the power to walk in that example again. That's why it is in the Lord. That's where the power comes from. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, he gives us the ability to overcome. And so, well, church family, let's do this as a church y'all. Let's walk in the goodness of God. Let's love and be unified with each other in this divisive season, y'all. Let's be joy-filled. Like, what does it look like to mourn racism that has existed for centuries in this country and yet be joy-filled because God's peace has washed over you? This becomes a witness to the world around us, and people will listen to you as you fight for justice that much more because of your witness of the peace of God over you. And you will be like the black saints of old that even though they were literally suffering, they were singing in the midst of it. You better believe that was a witness to the world around them. And we can be the same thing in whatever our situation is right now. Whatever struggle you're going through, what does it look like to have joy in the midst of it, family? It shows that we have hope in something greater than what is right in front of us. Let us have lives that are worth imitating. Let us be gracious towards one another. Let us be like Jesus. If you've heard nothing else that I said today, just hear that sentence. This text is imploring us, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. When you feel the peace of God, walk in that because he is the Prince of Peace. May we be children of light that bless this city, that bless our community groups, that bless our family, that bless our own souls. Let us walk like Jesus and love like Jesus and serve like Jesus and fight like Jesus and pray like Jesus and bless like Jesus. Let us be like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Listen, you, you, well, church family, I mean this. You are my joy and my crown. I love you. I long for you. I long for us to be imitators of Christ. Let us walk in that beautiful family. I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray. Man, Jesus, would you allow us to keep blessing each other? Father God, with all of the chaos of the world around us, would we be a people that look different, children of light in the midst of a crooked generation? Jesus, would we fight for unity? Would we fight for peace? Would we fight for justice? Would we fight to be unified with one another despite our differences? Would we walk with joy and reasonableness and love for others? Would we be like you, Jesus? God, I confess I have no strength to do this on myself. Every time I lean into myself, I just want to fight people walking down the street. (laughs) But when I lean into you, you give me the ability to walk and to love like you did. Help us to lean into you, the God who already purchased everything we need for us. We have everything we need for life and godliness. 
Let us walk in that. God, for those who do not know you, I pray they would hear the beauty of what it means to be a Christian, that their lives do look different, that they can bless the world around them, that they can overcome the sin that they're struggling with because you overcame it for them. And for all of us who have received you, let us walk in you, Jesus, and imitate you to the world around us. Christ, help us to be imitators of you. We love you, our blessed and our beautiful King. We pray these things in your precious name.